You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back. Land Lakes Podcast here. Uh, Matt's traveling this week. You'll hear him over on the other podcast. Um, oh man, it's been a it's been a very very busy week. A uh, couple of weeks for Matt and I. Um, and it's going to continue for a few more weeks as we're trying to get uh, a lot of, there's a lot of irons in the fire. We've still got several consults to do. We're also trying to get fall food plots in, um, trying to continue with the timber harvest on the Whistling Woodlands Ranch, and also um, still in the cattle business, and then also... uh, what is the other thing we have going on? There's a couple other things we have going on behind the scenes that uh, you guys don't care to know about. So, um, But, yeah, it's just been super crazy. Matt is out east. He's been working in Ohio and, I believe, West Virginia. I could be wrong on that. I've been in Kansas. We'll both be in New York in the coming weeks, in totally different parts of New York. We're actually going to be there at the same time, but in two different parts of the state um and and so hopefully at the end towards the end of the month we're going to have hopefully have a few few weeks to kind of cool down and catch up on some stuff and uh we're hopeful to have some good weather but um so Matt's not on tonight but I we're we're joined by returning um guest host uh my brother Chainsaw Chad Chad you over there via telephone um, I'm here via telefono. Telefono, yeah. So, um, or telefono. Telefono, yeah. It's been so long. Um, <laughs> what is that one that you always quote? Because we both had the same Spanish suit, <laughs> Los Almaguesas. Uh, Los no sweet salute. Hamburgers are bad for your health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, there you go. Um, we weren't so good on the Spanish in, at, at, in our hometown, but, um, anyway, um, so Chad and I, we've been, man, we've talked about it a little bit. We've made a few Facebook social media posts and, uh, had a lot of guys showing interest and want to know more about our operation and the cows. And, um, so for you guys that are thinking this is a podcast devoted to cows and you don't care, 
Um, don't turn it off quite yet because we're talking about how we're utilizing cows on our farm, the farm we purchased to make income to help pay for the farm, as well as improve habitat and um, continue, I guess, to ultimately the goal is that they'll, the, the, that there's a herd big enough that um, it pays for more than just the payment. There's income to be made. Of course, for some of you tax guys, you realize that having a recreational farm versus a working um, farm is uh, two totally different beasts. And one being very, very beneficial, and that's the one that's a working cattle farm, uh, working farm. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about our cattle operation, the breed we chose, how we're going to utilize them, and how they're actually going to work with the wildlife, and um, how it's something that you guys may um, need to consider on your farm, uh, depending on, obviously, it depends on your operation, but... We feel there's a huge win here with our uh, with our op with the way we're managing it, and then we have kind of something to tie in of of course how that's uh, really going to improve. But a few little tidbits to why we're already being encouraged about um, the cattle operation. So um, some really cool stuff happening there. Um, we'll give you a quick update though before we really get rocking. Um, timber harvest is still going strong. Um, Chad, you were down there today. What have you, uh, you know, overall, I think I, I think we said probably 180 to 200 acres to be harvested over the next, uh, several months. Um, yeah. what's your what first you initial we, thought? We figured it out. Like you figured it up about 15 acres. About been cut so 15 far. to 20 acres have been cut. Um, a lot of daylight shining. Oh my goodness. A lot of daylight Yes, a lot, 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 lot of daylight. And I think there's two things. You know, we didn't really talk about it, but I, maybe we should. Um, we talked about not even bringing it up on this podcast, but we might as well go ahead. But So we're in day or week number two or three of the cutting, where actual cutting. It's probably week two of where the machine's been running a good amount, and they, you can actually see kind of the progression and the direction they're headed. And I, And I think for a lot of guys... We know how beneficial timber cutting is and how it needs to be done. But even for Chad and I, we've been sitting there on two weeks into this and going, are we cutting too much? And I think that's something for a lot of guys to be like, okay, I'm not the only one, you know? Uh, Chad, yeah. where, where are you at? That's like, your, I mean, <clears throat> that's your, should, probably should be your obvious first reaction. Yeah. Is to walk in and be like, oh, this is open. Yeah. This but, is not what it was. But then you start walking around and you realize you start looking at the stumps and you're like, okay, almost every one of these has rot in yeah. it or the start of rot. It's like, yeah, this all needed to happen. Yeah. These and, were unhealthy trees. Even when you have them cutting what in this area they call scrag in the south, it would be pulpwood. But we don't yeah. have pulp mills, so it's generally scrag. Even when they're cutting the smaller scrag trees, you're seeing rot in those. Yeah. That some people would walk in and say, oh, that's a younger tree. Well, no, it's probably the same age. It was just suppressed from the start. Yeah. And that's even those have rot in them. 
So it's like, okay, we're doing the right thing. Yeah. This is, this is going to have to happen. It's just going to be a little open for a while. And that's what a lot of guys like for our farm, uh, what we bought, it's been used and abused for years and years and years. And back in the, you know, seventies or eighties, there was a heavy cut and then there was another cut. Maybe it was before that, but there's been multiple cuts on this farm that were very hard, probably clear cuts. And then, uh, very well, very high graded. Very high graded, yeah. As much as we feel like that word gets overused, this is definitely a high graded forest. And and because of that, we're going to have to be the ones that correct that if we want to head in a better direction. And to head in that better direction, it's going to have to take some serious, serious overhaul. And that's where, for us, it's like, whew. Think about a healthy forest, you probably, one of the last things you think is cut a majority, cut a lot of trees, you know, and, but we got to break that cycle because so many people think, well, a healthy forest is one that doesn't get managed or doesn't get cut. And that's so far from the truth. So a little update from us is the timber is being cut. And I think for a lot of people, you would say, woof, but it all depends on the area you're standing because, you know, these big black oaks that are starting to show major signs of rotting if we if let's we can say if we didn't do anything we just continued the same thing try to burn it every occasionally there would probably be a big storm that blow through in 10 years and a majority of these black oaks would be weak hollow stressed and we'd have major major trees snapping falling rotten and then we wouldn't make any money off of it. And that's well, I mean, that's kind of how we are. Is, it's essentially slowing down the process was what would be that. Yeah. Would be what that would be doing. And this we can start the regeneration process much quicker. Yeah. And so and at that we have all these stumps now that are hopefully going to be pumping some pumping some new shoots up next year and uh we can have uh we can have some more trees starting to grow and more sunlight, more herbaceous plants. And it can be totally different than what it was, uh, has been for the last 30 years. Um, and that's, you know, we're trying to fast track our farm. I don't want to wait around and be like, well, we'll get to it. I'm kind of looking at it going, we might play aggressive up front. We may full court press it. We may, uh, do some, do some hardcore trying to really, really speed things up we're we're ultimately trying to make something that a lot of guys wait for years we're trying to make it happen in less than five if there's anything that we if there's something we haven't done on this place it's piddle around with stuff yeah (laughs) yeah no doubt we don't we don't like to piddle yeah and so we are hardcore cutting some timber they've probably gotten 15 acres 20 acres done they're starting to get in a rhythm um, I'm hopeful that, you know, that's the one thing about this fall. It's going to be interesting for us. We have some good deer on camera, but there's also a major logging operation going on. So things could be, you know, we could get on a good deer, start figuring out a pattern, and then they get a portion of the farm cut and they're moving over to that part. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting fall for us, um, to say the least. Um, but the timber is being cut. It's, uh, 
we actually got our first check this week and we're pleasantly surprised. And so um, I think, you know, as we move forward with fencing out the cows of riparian areas, changing up some management with the cows, more rotationally grazed, trying to incorporate diversity in the pastures so there's more food for the deer as well. We'll explain that uh, coming up. And then you tie in the major timber harvest and then roads being created, water holes being created. Like we're talking in two years, we could have some, this farm won't look anything like it's ever looked. And it won't hunt anything like it's ever hunted. No, no, it's going to be very different around these parts. So, because a large portion of what we've been doing has been strategically done for hunting as well. Yeah even as far as gates on cattle fences, um, as far as uh, movement of cows, um, clear cuts or bedding thickets, whatever you want to call them, food plots, saddles, road creation, like everything has gotten... Specific specific leaf trees. Specific leaf trees, yeah. Like this is something that, you know, we did a podcast several podcasts ago that was something about uh, I said the line of if you can't tell the difference between your farm and your neighbor's farm you better get to work and this farm won't look anything like any of the surrounding farms you probably won't find a farm like this counties counties around Um, but we're just we're we got to get there we're just slowly slowly steadily going and we did a podcast and we told about purchasing the farm so we're kind of updating people on what's going on and one of the big things with guys asked how we're gonna how the farm is gonna pay for itself it was you know somebody kept asking me what the goal was and I said well um we're ultimately gonna buy cows and how are we gonna buy the cows you know big thing was was cutting timber we kind of did something a little bit different we we basically you know the term and i hope i don't offend anybody i don't think this this term i gotta be i gotta be cautious when i use terms for the first time but borrowing from peter to pay paul kind of deal where ultimately we we went ahead and forked over some cash to buy the buy the cows but but the cows will be bought with timber money and uh first payment can be made with timber money and um so then we're going to ultimately then when calves get sold every year, that's going to be how we make the payment. So if we can build a big enough herd, um, and one way that we can build a bigger herd is do more uh, rotationally graze. So we can get more animals on the farm, have longer rest periods for our pastures. And uh, so we'll be able to pay for the farm with, with calf sales. So any other additional income is just plus. So, um, and there's other things we have in the work, but that's a that's kind of the the short story of it is it's a working farm, and uh, we're making it even more diverse with with our management. So that's a huge win. Um, did you I miss anything, that, Chad? No, and, and I was just gonna say, and you hope that through this, this is more relatable to. <clears throat> we hope that this becomes more relatable to the average person. Yeah, not many people can buy a hundred acres or a couple hundred acres. To just devote to solely hunting. Yeah. yeah. And you have to have ways to pay for it. And cattle, a lot of people have to use cattle. And it's like, that's we're going to use them to our benefit. I absolutely. And honestly, I kind of, I, I, I don't know about you, Chad. You're probably sick of it. 
because we've really, you know, both of ours, we neither one of us live around the farm. Um, we both have a good drive. And so you're there on the weekends and I'm there hopefully one day midweek and one day towards the weekend when, when our schedules overlap. And so I've really tried to devote my time to the cattle and Chad's devoted his time to the wildlife. So you've been marking timber and running trail cameras and you did a lot of the food plot management and I've been building fence, laying out more fence and kind of getting everything lined up with that. And our we've overlapped like one weekend I was spraying and bush hogging and then you were moving cows, but that's kind of, <laughs> that's been kind of the deal. I wear a cowboy hat and you wear the camo hat or the land of legacy hat and you work in the wildlife and I work in the cows. And, um, overall I, I, for some guys asking, um, we, I don't know how many hours, you know, you devote several on the weekends and I vote devote, uh, a day or two each week. So I don't know, probably close to how many hours? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we want to figure that out. No, I don't either. But I'm just thinking from guys that are going, okay, what's it look like? We probably are more hands-on with the wildlife side than we than a lot of people can. But, you know, when we get the fences figured out, we shouldn't have to, and the water, permanent water is put in, we won't have to devote a lot of time to the cows. We'll just, other than rotating and planning out ahead and putting up more poly wire, once you get the permanent boundaries in, um, you can just move cows around, and that's going to be the fun part. So... Um, let's talk a little bit about our cows. So guys have been asking what breed, what the plans are, how we're going to do this. So we're doing a cow, cow calf operation, um, to start. So we bought South Poles, which is, uh, um, not like South Pole, the direction, but P-O-L-L, um, cows. And they're a cross between Angus, Hereford, Cinepole, and Barzona cows and they're kind of got the nickname mama of the south um and so the reason we chose them you know there's a lot of a lot of things and you can just get on youtube and i'm sure if anybody's ever thought about cows rotational grazing they've ran across greg judy um yes greg judy has south poles but we actually have a friend that has been running south poles and i wouldn't I, I don't don't quote me on this but I, I'm, I'm i think he probably had them but even before greg judy had them um a guy that just a phenomenal and one day he'll make it on the podcast i hope but phenomenal resource and he's kind of the one that turned us on to him and a little bit smaller cow a red cow and um because of those traits can take the heat so right now our our actual bulls are in because we have young bulls, we have heifers, so we're doing it a little bit longer this year. But we got the bulls in, so um, bulls are in with the heifers July and August. So we're going to calve in April, May. So we don't have to worry about the February cold or the March rain and, and all the cold temps. We're trying to make this as easy as possible. So we're going to calve when a lot of... N- uh, a lot of wild animals are having their young. Um, and we didn't really like the idea of throwing black cows and black bulls together to try to breed in July and August and have them croaking out in the heat on hot fescue. And these cows are, uh, so ours are actually unregistered, which 
some people don't care, others do care, but we went with them because they're very hard to find, South Poles are. We found these, and they're currently unregistered. I, because of we know the traits and know the line, we can get the offspring registered if we would like, but we are, uh, we'll decide on doing that later. Probably won't. We found them out of Utah, but they came from Missouri um, originally. And um, the thing about them is they're very calm from the standpoint of we can run one poly wire around them or one high tensile wire. We don't have to build five-strand barbed wire. These cows have been, or these heifers have been, man, uh most of the time, they've been against one or two strand high tensile or poly wire. Isn't that right, Chad? Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I mean, it's like talking about how calm they are. I moved them today, and I could, I was telling you, I could barely get them to move. They yeah. just stood there and looked at me, and I'm like, come on, let's go. Yeah. I'm taking the fence down, and yeah. they just stood there. And right now, our, our because of our scheduling, we're only able to do one once a week moves. Um, and so they are, uh, they are basically, uh, you know, they're learning the system like we're learning, learning the system. Eventually one of us gets moved closer to the farm. Our goal is to do once a day moves, but then again, that's unrealistic for a lot of guys. So we're going to try to keep this herd as realistic as possible or as relatable as possible. And once a week is about the best we can do right now. And I think a lot of guys, that would be right in their wheelhouse. And so um, I don't really look at this herd as a herd of like we're jumping in a cattle business and we're going to go and do like everybody else. Like I feel like what we're trying to create with this herd is a herd that a wildlife farm would eventually utilize or have well, part of. You know, you, you mentioned part of the goal is to – using this as as a way to pay for the farm but in the same sense part of why we chose the breed that we chose the way that we've chosen our management it ties into our habitat management mindset i mean they fall hand in hand with our plans for this whole place and even i haven't even told you um today when i went down to move them i jumped a group of turkeys in the pasture with the cows no kidding. Yeah, it was a little group of uh, a few jakes in the in the bottom with the cows. Yeah, no Just kidding. Walking around there with them, huh? So I, I, I mean, it's we pretty well assume that that's going to be the case a lot because of yep. the way the way they're moving, the way that it's managed. They're going to eat the stuff down. There's yep. going to be a lot of bugs. Yep. That's I expect the turkeys to move around a lot behind the cows. No doubt. And not only just turkeys, but hopefully eventually quail. That's hence the name yep. Whistling Woodlands. The whistle is supposed to be quail. <laughs> but there's a lot of other birds that we're kind of keying in on, on those woodlands. But um, that, that's awesome about the turkeys. Um, so for us, you know, when we look at this, the, the end goal, we've done some stuff, but what – one of the other big attractions for this herd or this, this, you know, the breed and ours specifically our herd is they're not real picky eaters. And so, you know, one of the things that we like is that they'll eat a lot of weeds. They'll eat a lot of different stuff. They're not just looking for fescue. And in fact, 
they're not really even eating the fescue or orchard grass in our pastures right now. They're preferring some of the other stuff, a lot of the weeds. They're hammering common ragweed and giant ragweed. Um, they're eating, of course, a lot of clover. They're hammering Johnson grass. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other stuff. They did eat some thistles, um, younger thistles, not a, not a ton of them that were big, tall, rank ones, but... What else? Uh, the the, well, the other the, big one that we found them eating is the one I'm leading up to. But that's what I was getting ready to mention okay. too. The, the most surprising one. The most surprising that just shocks the heck out of us is uh, spotted knapweed. Um, we had a lot of spotted knapweed on one of the pastures um, that they were in for a week. That was kind of one of those like kick them in that pasture just to graze it down just to see what they were doing trying to get them used to you know they spent the first month on the farm in a pasture that had a lot of johnson grass a lot of clover so they weren't really a lot of sedges they weren't really dependent upon cool season grasses and so we kicked them in that one it's like okay this will be trying to ease them into it and they hammered the spotted knapweed which no disrespect to dad's cows being black Angus and red Angus, but they hadn't touched it, and therefore that's why the knapweed had gotten a little bit out of hand in certain places on that pasture. And this is, that's actually not on, that's a part of our lease. Um, the person, the guy we bought our farm from still owns that acreage. Um, so it was all tied together, but he kept that because that home site, so we're kind of leasing it. And... Um, so that's why there hasn't been as much management to control those invasives because we're in over our heads on other places of the farm that we actually own. But the cows ate spotted knapweed. Blows our mind. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable to yeah. pull in there that day. And, and it was one of those that took us a second to realize it until we yeah. started looking around. It's like, oh. there's no spotted knapweed in here. Yeah, where's the blooms at? Because they were here last week. Yeah. And so that was a pretty cool deal for us to see that they're eating that. And, you know, I, I don't know if I even know if I even told you, Chad, but I noticed that they were eating the, uh, they're eating the, some of the leaves on the multiflow rose in the pasture. Uh-huh. Um, so they're, they've got a, they're known to have a little bit wider of variety in their diet than black Angus. So, um, that's one of the things that's exciting to us because, Ultimately, um, that's where, uh, that's what we want is a cattle that has a lot of, that will eat a diverse diet. Um, and so for us, it, it seems like a really good fit. I've always and loved, the, I've always loved red cows. So it's the start of a lot of experiments too, of, you know, we're in a, a pretty high average rainfall area. So a lot of these places like in timber management, yeah. Um, you see a lot of that in a high in a high rainfall area. It's very tough to manage like your woody sprouts and all of that stuff coming in after a timber sale, after the cutting, after a thinning. When you're trying to manage a woodland or a savanna, you struggle with that. Even with ju- even with managing with fire, sometimes it's really tough with just fire. Yeah. To keep that in a great wildlife shape, to keep that in quail habitat. You know, it gets too thick, yeah. and that's what we're hoping to use these cows in that sense, too, to open that up and make it more usable. 
That's I mean, right. it's all about more usable space for, for all wildlife. And that's, that's part of the goal in using these cows. Yeah. And the other thing too, is eventually, you know, we're cow calf, but if we kick out some, you know, have some bulls, turn them steers, we can eventually raise some really high quality grass fed beef. Um, you know, that will be a direction we head depending upon, um, just ha- grass availability. If we tie up some leases, we may hang on to some steers and start trying to sell some sell some beef. And I, I think at the end of the day, though, what's exciting for me is how just calm these cows are and their one wire broke. So, um, you know, that's going to be important for us to continue. And one of the big things for this podcast is to tell people about the operation because there's so many of our clients and listeners that have toyed the idea with cows, but they're fearful of, um, I've got to build five strand barbed wire. I have to check on them every day. I have to feed hay all day. I, I, I have to feed hay in, from November to March. I got to do this or that. I got to have, I got to supplement the grass with other feed and no, 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 no. That's where we're trying to really, um, really take this and go okay can we can we be wildlife guys but still still use cows to our advantage once we figure this out i mean and we're raising these cows in this in this environment obviously we're going to have cows to sell and so one of the big things cool things for us is that we'll have cows to sell or calves or whatever we decide to sell um that our listeners or our clients will have the ability to buy if they want them. Um, and I know there's a lot of guys that are interested. That's why I'm kind of saying here because so many people have been keep messaging me about it that I'm like, I need to talk about it here on the podcast. So if you guys are interested, be sure to, you know, sh- shoot, you can email me. Um, I've, I think I've shared my, just my email is Adam at TV. If you're interested in, in the future of possibly purchasing some cows shoot me an email because we're going to be selling in the future and and i'm hopeful that this is a herd that we can train and teach and and uh uh, listeners can be utilizing or um might even be interested to have on their place at some point so um one of the other big things too chad is the big misconceptions i would have to put ponds in i have to do all this and it's like we have ponds on parts of our farm but we've also learned real quick because water's a must how do you get water in paddocks that's uh um temporary so we've just got simple water troughs and cubes and we're filling them up and because a lot of i mean obviously a lot of the places we're going to be running these cows we don't plan on having permanent water in every place no i mean like we plan on using them in 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 our food plot strategies yeah, I mean that's that's a big plan, and it's like we don't plan on having water in all of those places. So it's if we can figure out using a cube and a trough to keep enough water for them, if we can get by with that, then it's perfect because it's mobile, and we can move them around with one wire. I mean, you think about you think about if we had half of this herd, or if we, especially if we could do daily moves, how how much of an area we could cover. I mean, we wouldn't have to have that big of an acre or acreage to run ten of these. No, not and at I all. Mean, you think we ran? How big is the the first field we put them in? Like fifteen acres? 
Yeah, 15, 20, 17 acres. I guess 20 if, we, if you count the hill. But yep. we had 25 on there for a month and could mm-hmm. have turned them right back through the same rotation right back again. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, when you – so we stripped it off a paddock each week. So the thing is, too, when you, when you really think about it, like we could have just kicked them out in the whole pasture and been done with it, but they would have had access to the whole paddock all month long. What we did was section it off. And so they're on paddock number one for one week, paddock number two for a week, paddock number three for a week, paddock number four for a week. Well, when you get to paddock number four, paddock number one's already been resting for three weeks. And so... um, Well, you throw that back to if we could do daily moves, you think of how how much we could cover. I mean, some of that would be grazed one day of the whole month. Yep. And then have a full day's, a full month's rest. Yep. That's right. And so, you know, throw out eight cows on that or eight heifers and and you do that, you know, it doesn't take many acres to raise them, especially with the rest. And then if you do stalkers, you just steers, you don't keep them all year. You can really get rid of them in the fall and uh, go butcher them in the fall and you don't have to deal well, with them through the winter. You know, I, I see it. In, in my work, there's a big misconception with, with cattle grazing in, in the wildlife realm. Oh, yeah. Uh, overgrazed, terrible wildlife habitat. But in the same sense, like you look at what we've pulled after a move. You know, we walked that first paddock that first the first time we moved them. We mm-hmm. walked through there and it's like, well, this looks this looks like great, like a great area you would see like quail in. Yep. I mean, it had that Johnson grass that was eaten down. There were cow pads through it, but there was still cover. It was like just that style of management is not grazing it into the dirt, like lip high grass everywhere. This was like still weedy, kind of dirty looking field, which is great bird habitat. Mm-hmm. It would be, I mean, it wouldn't surprise us to see turkey poultry in any of it after no. we move the cows. That's right. Not at all. Yeah. And so for us, I think this could really be – how many times, Chad, do you see people talk about, oh, you just don't see turkeys. Why are there turkeys not in the woods anymore? And it's like I see them out in Joe Blow's cattle pasture, and it's like because it's grazed down, it's short, they can get out there. There's more insects there because the cows are there. Of course yep. that's where they're at. Well, we I, had – I mean, we had this discussion just this weekend of of – turkey wise with cattle where it's you have like you have fescue pastures or old old pastures or something with cool season with the cool season non-natives that they go rank and they offer like turkeys very little to no benefit whatsoever and a grazed pasture somehow offers them a little benefit yeah like a grazed overgrazed pasture but then you throw in a graze like this pasture, and there's a lot of benefit to a to a, a brood of turkeys. Yep. And it's like, oh, well, this this lines up pretty well. I mean, it's the best of both worlds there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and one other thing too, the South Poles are a smaller smaller breed. You know, a, a cow, full grown cow, could be thousand, twelve hundred, twelve hundred pounds, while a like black Angus could be. 1100 to 13 or 13 and a half. Um, so the idea is that you can put more 
head on a pasture, smaller frame, but have more of them. So they're a little bit smaller, but you can have more of them. Um, and, and then they don't muck up and stomp around in the mud as much because they don't weigh as much. Um, and so I, I, you know, there's a lot of things about this, this breed that I really like, but ultimately it comes down to, they're not picky. They eat a lot of different things. They're very docile and they also, uh, they're really pretty because they're that real dark red. A lot of them, you know, you look at that, we even have some baldies in ours, but, um, they're really pretty, pretty, uh, most of them are red. There are a few variances of that, but, um, man, they are sure pretty to look at. Um, yeah, uh, one of the other big things, you know, when we talked about the waters is that we have the ability now where when we start leasing up some pastures, leasing up some other ground is if there's not water on site, we can, we can, that's not a problem. And so ultimately if there's, if there's grass, we can get our cows there because we don't have to build a ton of fence. We don't have to build a bunch of ponds. We don't have to drill wells. We can we can figure it out, and I think that's one of the advantages that we have compared to a lot of the razors in our areas that they need five-strand barbed wire. They need three-strand barbed wire or three-strand uh, electric and really hot fence. Not ours. We can get in there with one strand. We can do some temporary waters, and ultimately we could just – bounce around for for a couple of months with just that system and then bring them back to more permanent waters for the winter um, since it's a cow-calf operation. But, you know, that's some of the things. I know there's going to be more follow-up questions for guys, um, but one of the, the, the final thing that we want to mention is the importance of the diversity. We mentioned that these cows like a diverse diet. Um, is diversifying your pastures. And we have a, a really key point this week in, in the importance of that. So you cattle guys, you're trying to figure out how to bring in more value to the wildlife in your dad's pastures, your uncle's pastures. Heck, you could do this and they don't even have to know about it. But um, we incorporate a lot of clovers in our in our pastures. And uh, one of the things about our hay fields is that dad has incorporated a lot of red clover and white clover over the years. And I I've gotten, Chad, I mean... If I were to ask you, I, I honestly think that I would probably say if you pinned me in a corner, you said red or white clover, which one you'd choose. I think I'd have to say white clover because I think it's a little bit more hardy. And um, I think that it fits into our pro in a food plot program better. But I absolutely love red clover. Yeah, and it's and it's because of the, the seasonal timing of oh, it. Oh, totally. To me, white clover is like, mostly dormant right now. Fading, and the red clover is just booming. Yeah, I mean we're here in July and August. It's red clover is going nuts here in the Midwest, and so Dad's incorporated that and in, uh, um, in this. So, for example, we have a hay field that um, got cut early June, I think something yeah, like so. that and so it got cut all the cool season grasses because it's mainly fescue and orchard grass and timothy and so it got cut right at the peak or tail end of of uh its production for the year or for the spring and then kind of almost unleashes the red clover and the red clover booms in july and august 
and what does uh, what likes red clover? Deer. So one of our best bachelor groups that has one of the oldest bucks on the farm is coming in not into a food plot on a regular basis, but a hayfield. And so if that hangs on, we may have a chance September 15th at a nice buck coming in to eat clover in one of our hayfields. And that's just one more way to stack in more acres of beneficial forage for wildlife just by diversifying your pastures in a very simple way. Then in the way dad used to do it, and he probably still does it, but he does a lot of things we don't know about. And frankly, a lot of things we probably don't want to know about on the farm. But um, the big one is when he, when they cut hay and the hay bales, he's moving around. If they sit there for a a few days or a week or so, and that grass gets kind of, you know, anytime you set something on grass for very long, it doesn't take long to stunt the growth or kill the grass underneath it. So he would go in and sprinkle out clover all through that. So over time, we just have a lot of red clover that grows in the front pasture um, and, well, any of the pastures and hay fields. And, uh, you know, (laughs) you can drive through and there's monarch butterflies on the red clover. There's all kinds of other um, swallowtail butterflies on the clover. So insects are doing well. and Therefore, there's, uh, you know, I was seeing turkeys. uh, I saw several hens and poults in, in one of our other hay fields this past weekend as well. Um, and I'm sure going in there to chase bugs because there's a lot of insects in this. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, diversify those pastures, guys, because it can really help you out. And, you know, because this bachelor group is going in the hay fields every night to eat red clover, they're not going into our little food plots every night to hammer soybeans or hammer some of our other crops. So um, it can help take off some of the pressure of your food plots as well. Chad, you got anything you want to add? I mean, we really didn't. I kind of tossed it out there, but we really didn't talk about our strategy and using the cattle with the food plots. Nope, but we don't even have to do that because we're already up on time. Um, I mean, we can, but, man, uh, I think that's a whole other podcast one day. Yeah, for sure. So, guys, um, if you're interested in the cows and you want to know more about it, shoot me an email, adamlandlegacy.tv. And uh, I'd be I'd be glad to share more information, and we can talk about the future. And um, you know, we have some plans. One day, we'd love to have grass finished beef um, available um, to to even you guys, our listeners, local guys for pickup, whatever. Um, I think this is going to be you know, there's a lot of really great producers out there, but this is going to be one herd who really tries to key in on um, being as one with the natural world as possible. So trying to go into more, we've got plans to plant some native prairie or not native prairies, but prairie mixes where we're grazing natives. Um, it's going to be one very environmental friendly if you want to key in on one of those fads, but this, I mean, this is going to be one true blue environmentally friendly herd. So, um, I'm very excited to talk more and more about it in the future. And hopefully you guys are willing to listen. So anyway, guys, uh, Appreciate you listening this week, and uh, be sure to jump over and listen to Matt on the other podcasts this week, and uh, we'll see you right back here next week. See ya. Yeah.